0: This morning, and if you would take your Bibles, and if you have a Pew Bible, it's found on 1059. I'm going to read a text and then we'll pray. And then our text today is John chapter 6, but before we start, I would like to read uh, from the previous chapter, John 5 38 through 47. So if you would turn there with me to 1059, verse 38. And you do not have his word abiding you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses you would believe in me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Our gracious God and Father, again, we turn, return to your word. We have just sung those songs, uh, that Break Now the Bread of Life to Me. And Father, we do pray that you'll open our eyes and our hearts and our minds. That as that last verse says, to thy book revealed, I see the God. Lord, help us to see you this morning in all of your glory, uh, concealed in this word. Uh, help now uh, the feeble uh, as I begin to try to read through this and uh, strengthen me to the praise of your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We will begin reading now in John chapter 6, and I read the previous verse it's because it starts out in that first verse, after this, Jesus went to the other side of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. He had just gone through this discourse with these people telling about himself, and he references Moses. And what he's referring to specifically is a passage in uh, Deuteronomy where Moses is Promising one who would come and he would be greater than himself. And this would be the one that they were to put their faith and their confidence in. Moses was preaching the Lord Jesus Christ's coming. And in this text, uh, as we read through it today, you're going to see Moses is brought up again. And you're going to see that the people, in one sense, believed and put their confidence in Moses. But as most of you who are students of the Bible know that the Jews at this time, their expectations were not met because they had extra biblical influences in their world. Uh, I heard an interview recently of John, uh, Ben Shapiro, who is a, uh, a internet sensation, uh, an Orthodox Jew. And they were talking about the Christ. I think he was uh, Sam Harris was talking with him and giving evidence from the resurrection as to the fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And Ben's problem was, no. And he was referring not to the text, but to extra-biblical, rabbinical writings that had painted a picture that does not match with the Scriptures. And um, so anyhow, that's that's the problem. And in, Paul writes about it, that there's a veil over the Jews... In his day, and I would suggest by way of example, Ben Shapiro from whom which I pray that he would come to faith in Christ, that uh, he would recognize his Messiah, that uh, there is a veil there that Christ can remove. He's in the business of opening eyes as we will see here today. So after this, a large crowd was following him. And the reason is because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. The people, the Jews Depend on signs, uh, the Greeks upon philosophy, and he says to them, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs. Now, they're seeking him. There seems to be a contradiction, but seeking and seeing in the signs can represent two different expectations. One can be uh, proof of a concept that you have in your own mind that you've constructed, and other could be a revelation of Uh, from God but they sought the signs and he says you don't seek and a kind of a clue is here not because you saw the signs about me but because your your stomachs were filled and uh, this is this whole chapter is all about eating all about food and we've just come through this holiday season so we can perhaps identify with it on the physical level Uh, we're all about food my kids on our family thread every it's a picture of something they're cooking somewhere and everybody's wishing that they could be there anyhow. And so Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said, Jesus is speaking to Philip, one of his disciples, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Next verse, he said this to test him. When Jesus is asking a question, he's not seeking an answer, but he's usually asking a question to demonstrate or to prove or open up the mind to the hearing of an individual to behold something that he's going to say. And the reason he, and the proof of this is the next verse, Or he himself knew what he was going to do. He worked a scenario because he wanted to teach Philip. Philip answered, hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Boy, what are they for so many? Jesus said, have them sit down and he's going to show them. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. And this could be multiplied, we think, by wives and children and so on. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So all the fish, <clears throat> so also the fish, so much, as, so much as they wanted. In other words, their desire, so hunger was satiated. When they had eaten their field, he told his disciples, Gather up the loaves, uh, the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves and left behind by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they came seeking, they had seen signs of the healing of the sick. They were seeking a sign. And so when they saw the multiplication of these loaves, and here it is, our connection with Moses, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Okay, Jesus perceiving, he knew not just what they had said, but he knew their hearts, the impact of this sign on them. He says, they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. They had a right perception in realizing that this was the great one, the greater prophet that was to come who would meet their needs. But then they had a misconception. How foolish it was for them to think that they could make him king. The misperception was that the king of the universe, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords was standing there before him. Jesus withdrew himself again to the mountain by himself. Jesus simply, and this is speculation, I know I shouldn't speculate, but while they were arguing and they were making their plans, Jesus just simply walked away. The warning is out of this speculation is that sometimes we, in all of our plans of what we're going to do for Jesus and how we're going to do this, he simply gets lost in the crowd. So we'll continue now with the next pericope of story: Jesus walks on the water. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not come to them; had not yet come to them. The sea began. Became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was on the land to which they were going. Now we won't have time, we don't have time to fill in all of the blanks, but if you No, from Matthew and Mark, there's more to the story than is here. And one of the key points is when they saw Jesus walking on the water, not the normal way people move. How many stories have you heard about walking on water in your life from people, secular people, referring to Jesus? This is not the normal. So when they saw him, their instinct was to think this is a ghost. And they were afraid not only because of the ghost, but they were afraid because of the storm. And Jesus spoke to them and said, it is I. Now what I I just, my personal observation here, I couldn't help as I study sometimes to hear songs playing in the background. Uh, How sweet the voice of Jesus is upon the sinner's ear. There's something about uh, the Lord Jesus' voice, the familiarity Later on in this book, when John talks about uh, and presents, or Jesus presents himself as the good shepherd, he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, and they hear my voice. There are two groups of people in this story. There are those who see the signs and believe, and there are those who hear the voice of Jesus and believe, and then there are those who see the signs and don't believe, and there are those who hear this voice of Jesus teaching the eternal Son of God come to reveal the Father. And yet they hear his voice and it goes in one ear and out the other. Well, that's two stories and they're connected. The voice of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000, the connection to Moses. And we'll see that as we go on in our text. Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat. Got to keep that in the back of your minds. They're recollecting what has gone on. Um, uh, They had not gone on the boat with His disciples, but His disciples had gone on alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into those boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, at this point, he goes from being the prophet that they want to make king to just a teacher. He says, When did when did you come here? Do you see a problem with that question? If you follow the text, there was only one boat. Jesus didn't get on the boat. The boat, the disciples left, and there's Jesus on the other side. You would think the question would be, how did you get here? Not when did you get here? I don't want to make too much of that, just an observation. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your loaves, or you ate your fill of the loaves. This is another point. It's been a while back, and I know you probably don't remember, but we talked about how blunt Jesus could be answering and speaking to people contrary to what they had in, in their own mind. Nicodemus comes to him and he says, you must be born again. To see the kingdom of heaven, and, and that's not what that was not what Nicodemus had come to hear. Uh, the woman at the well, she was not expecting Jesus to say, "Go bring your husband." You know, they were talking about water. They were at the well. He asked her for a drink, and he says, "Go bring your husband." He had a point. He was blunt into the facts, pointing to their need. And so here we we see that he's being blunt again with them. You're seeking that which fills your belly, but you need to seek more. I've come to do more than just to give you food that will pass away. We, uh, <clears throat> verse 27, and he goes on, and this is a, this is a rebuke or a correction. He says, do not work. You can highlight or circle, keep in your memory over here, pin it somewhere, this word work. It comes up again and again in this text. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures. And here's another word that comes up again, to eternal life. So we have work, we have food, uh, we have eternal life. These on the word level, uh, not just the precept or theological level, these words come up again and again in this text. And of course, the easy to say here uh, that food is temporary. Uh, but what he's talking to and the reason he came is to seek and to save that which is lost. He didn't come to establish the kind of kingdom that they were expecting with freedom from oppression and plenty to eat. Uh, but he came to give them eternal life. In John 3, the father loves and gives his son. <clears throat> excuse me, I have to say excuse- Oh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm right. Verse 37, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. There's a difference between a gift and working, and that's what they were doing. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. And I just wanted to point out a few things here. In John 3, the Father loves and gives His Son. Here the Son of Man gives himself his spiritual food that endures to eternal life. Morris, Leon Morris says, the gospel habitually associates life with Christ. If people seek this food, then the Son of Man will give them eternal life. Life is not, life is not the reward for work. Life is always a gift. What's the proper responses? Now put that to the plural, to a gift. Receive it and appreciate it and give thanks for it. That's what this text is about, the gift of God of eternal life and redemption. Verse 28, then they said to him in response, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He has sent. Verses 27, 26, and 28 are fascinating verses, and I wish we had the time to do a word st- study on work. It begins in the garden, and it continues throughout Scripture. Uh, when you hear the, in Scripture, though, the word work, what's your most immediate association with this word? Is it negative or positive? Typically... When you hear someone speak about work or working for God, it's always, it's by faith, it's not by works. And they'll quote this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So we're right. There is a wrong way of looking at work. And it's when we look at work as something we do as opposed to looking at work that God does. Jesus said early in the text, He says, My Father works and I work. To the church at Corinth, there was a big dispute over two preachers. One was Apollos and uh, one was Paul and people were taking up sides and Paul clarified it this way. We're on the same team. We are working towards the same goal. One sows one waters, but it's God who brings the increase. And then he talks about on how we build. You can build with silver and gold, or you can build with wood, hay, and stubble. And he says, I build on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I've, he came to seek and to save that which is lost, and I'm going out to present the gospel, teaching his word to those I am entering into his labor. Later on in Corinthians, he also says we are joint, we are co-laborers with God. Or maybe it's in this passage here. So there is a good aspect of work. We are co-laborers with Christ. We continue on in the work of redemption, not by redeeming, but by presenting the redemption that has already been accomplished in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, In that sense, we're all witnesses we're all teachers, disciple makers, and in some sense we are proclaimers, preachers of the good news. We are evangels, we are evangelists. We go out and proclaim the good news of what Christ has done. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may believe in you? What work do you perform? <clears throat> Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. Now we return, he's already multiplied loaves. He's fed and they're back on the on the bread thing and they're associating, associating with the manna that came from Moses. Let's connect the dots. We started by reading from <clears throat> chapter 5 and Jesus' re- reference back to Moses. The Jews' expectation, as we said, is that the, when the Messiah would who was greater than Moses would come, he would renew the miracle of the manna. Their messianic hopes were encouraged by the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, but their ultimate hope was in the restoration of the kingdom according to their own design. The king was there, the kingdom was being inaugurated, but they misunderstood Moses because... Frankly, it takes the New Testament to really explain the Old Testament. Not that people in the Old Testament couldn't have faith in the revelation that God gave them and the work that He did in their hearts. Verse 32 Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you. And mark this word, He makes the distinction, which makes all the difference in the world. It's not the similarities, but it's the difference. He gives you the true bread, notice we're from heaven. For the bread of God is not manna, though no, that came from heaven, God created. The bread of God is He. It's not a it, it's not a but. It is He who comes down from heaven and He gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread. Jesus said to them, and here's one of the seven I am's, the first, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Echoes is a dialogue with the woman at the well. I'll give you water and it'll be a spring. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. I'll give you the Holy Spirit and, it will, and you'll never thirst again. You're going to have to come back and draw physical water. And I'm giving you something that will satisfy for all eternity. Verse uh, 36, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. They want to see a work. They want to see a sign. They think that they look at the Scriptures and their hope is in Moses. And yet when their hope has arrived, when the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is before them, they do not believe. My observation is seeing is not believing. There's a seeing with eyes that are hardened. Then he continues, all that the Father gives me, and I'm going to emphasize some words here. Seven times in the text I'm reading, it uses the word will. Uses it differently, but it's connected as you'll see. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. Richard and I were talking about this earlier this morning. But the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Brothers and sisters, we have eternal life, we have life, and it's all associated with belief and faith. Uh, That is the work that God has done in us. That's the work we believe, but God has gifted us by working in us through the preaching or the teaching of the Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a new life. We can't generate life on our own. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but He has quickened us. He has given life. He is in that life by uh, giving us His Holy Spirit, to whom we'll we'll talk about later. So I said the word will is used two ways, but both are connected in certainty. I want to get the certainty of this will. The certainty of God's desire. God's, when it says God's will, it's God's desire. It's His purpose. It's what He takes delight in. He's not forced to do it. He's not obligated to do it. He's cho- he freely chooses, sovereignly chooses to do this. It's the certainty of the Son's obedience, not my will, but your will. And it's the certainty of the Son's action. He came and He did what the Father sent Him to do. Later, the Apostle Paul would make the same connection, apply it to his readers. He writes to the church in Ephesus concerning the eternal purposes of the Father accomplished in Christ and the benefit of our union in Him. What is it? This was according to the eternal purpose that He realized in Christ, the Father realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have, here's the benefit in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in ourselves. (laughs) Our faith in our works. No, Our faith in Him. I've said this too many times, but I'm going to say it again. Everybody believes in something. Everybody has faith in something. It can be technology. It can be in their good works. It can be in their selves. Faith has an object. And the object of our faith is the blessed and eternal Son of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what is the response to this good news? Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life come down from heaven. They said, and this is natural, this is all that they knew. Keep in mind, we're, John Many of them had never, at this time, they had not read the book of John. It hadn't been written. It would be be some 40, 30, 40, 50 years later that John would pen this. So they're standing there right then in the moment. And and they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And that's the question that people have problems with and struggle with today. They may believe that there's a God somewhere out there. Ben Shapiro believes that there's a God. At least he claims he does. But he doesn't believe in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? Well, his eyes haven't been opened. Uh, if you believe that this morning, then thank God that he's given you eyes to see and ears to hear. But it doesn't make sense. And the scriptures don't have to make sense. It's a, when God speaks it creates the faith. And I'm not saying it's irrational. I'm just saying it's not by reason and logic, but it's by revelation and the work of the Spirit that we come to believe. So the Jews grumbled and they said, is not this the son of Joseph and Mary? Then again, thinking on the horizontal, the physical level. Jesus answers them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one, and he gives the explanation, this is the catch right here to all of this. Some believe, some don't believe, and, and all of it. it says, do not grump the, unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Unless the Father draws you, people will not come. He initiates. It's his work. What is the work of God? The work of God is to believe. He's doing that work in our hearts. He hopefully this morning, and that's my prayer that the faith that He has created in us by giving us the Holy Spirit and opening our eyes to the truth of the gospel, He will build our faith this morning so that we will see Him clearer and love Him more dearly. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, everyone who has heard and learned, suggests that some have not learned, (coughs) Will the Father comes to me? There's another definite. Uh, They will be taught by God. The prophets say, and they will come. Uh, All your children shall be taught by the Lord. This is the prophecy he's quoting or making reference to. And the great shall be peace, and great shall be the peace of your children. Two verses that they think that this may come from two different prophets, Isaiah. And uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah is a little more forthright. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. Okay, then it goes on, and great shall be the peace of your children. Jeremiah, there's a a larger text and context here, but he says this, "...and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord." For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The greater context is he says, I will write it on their hearts. I'll write my laws, my statutes, that which reveals and speaks of my righteousness. I will write it on their hearts, not on tablets of stone, but on their hearts. Now, verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who comes from the Father. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say... Whoever, and here it is, eternal life, connected to belief, faith. Whoever believes in me has eternal life. And then he repeats, he says, I am the bread of life. Skip down to verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to drink? You've probably read the passage many times, heard sermons. How strange it must have sounded to these Jews who couldn't drink, eat flesh that had blood in it. And here he is standing, unless you eat my flesh. That's the one time that they took things too literal. Um, so, what does he mean? Uh, I went back to uh, college course Biology 101, where we talked about eating. We've, we've, what happens in the process? Even as I thought about it, I just worshiped God this morning. We we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You take a cookie or a roast or a piece of bread and the whole body, you see it and you smell it and and you taste it. Uh, it, It's a a glorious thing, the process of eating something that's prepared well. Uh, We take delight, we take pleasure, too much pleasure sometimes. It's not just utilitarian, right? And so we take it and we chew it and immediately when we smell it, our mouths begin to salivate. Juices, the, the chemicals in our body start getting excited and working. Our stomach may start producing acid acid in anticipation of taking in this food. And we chew it. Our teeth and our muscles, they work together to break it down, start that process, and immediately enzymes and saliva, all of that functions to push it down where the acids hit it, and then it passes on into the next process, and it It's broken down so much that amino acids and glucose and and all of these minerals and all of these things that are essential to life, uh, right, we're made, what, from so many chemicals out of the dust of the earth? Well, it goes, all of these chemicals and process goes through our bloodstream and it goes to our brain and it goes to the muscles in our eyes and it goes to the nerves and it it goes to the soft, uh, the uh, long muscles and the short muscles and all, and bones and all of these things. And what happens is it becomes us. they are new cells that are made from what we eat. We don't eat, we die. We don't drink, we die, we dehydrate. In the process of eating, God takes that which is outside of us, apart from it, and we take it and it becomes who we are. When he's talking about eating him, he's talking about believing in his words. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that takes the word of God in the hearing and, and He works it into our hearts so that day by day as we meditate on that Word, as we abide in His Word, His Word, because of the Spirit, abides in us. And it becomes who we are spiritually. And I, I, I observe this with my brothers and sisters who love the Lord. We share in a way that I can't share with some physical family members. I can meet a stranger and we can start talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We might be from different denominations. Uh, He may not be reformed, and we don't go into those areas. But what we do know is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And a body was prepared for Him, and He bore our sins on the cross. And believing in Him, we have eternal life. Believing in Him is to internalize Him. And we become one with Him in Christ Jesus so that His work becomes our work, His will becomes our will, as we submit and we we continue to work in Him. Skipping down to the last verses, and we'll close up quickly. But Jesus, verse 61, you can pick up there. Jesus' words of eternal life. But Jesus, knowing Himself, that His disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do not take offense at this, And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. In this couple of verses here, we see the triune God working in sync together. It is the Spirit who gives life. It is the words spoken by Jesus that are spirit and life. And it's the Father who grants the coming and draws men and women. He's the one who the spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. They're working in redemption. And they continue to work. Uh, I had a list of things that they're doing right now. They're working on our sanctification. They're preparing a place for us. Uh, Christ is making intercession. God is superintending the existence of the world in our every heartbeat. You could go on all day thinking of the work that God continues to do. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And after this, we should delight in this, right? But after this, many of His disciples turned back and they no longer work with Him. Next words are words of challenge and correction. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Couldn't be any, anything truer than what Peter says right there. What words of perception. And of course he believed it because of the work we have talked about, the Spirit. But then he continues, we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Nothing wrong with that statement, right? But there's a little correction. He says, Jesus answered, did I not choose you? The 12, and yet one of you is is the devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was the one of the 12 that was going to betray him up before. He said he knew who would believe and who wouldn't. The father chose them. Peter was right, but everything that he had and he possessed by way of faith and profession and confession in the person of Lord Jesus Christ was the work of God. I think that's the title of the sermon. Yeah, the work of God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, I thank You for these, Your people, this morning. I thank You for the opportunity to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, we recognize that the flesh can do nothing. And so we pray again and and invoke Your presence and Your power that the Holy Spirit would prepare us for this new year. And that we would go out with renewed faith in Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no other place to go. We want no other place to go because He is all together sufficient for all that we need. Impress that upon our hearts. Work it out in our lives day by day that we might be co-workers with You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.